Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions as we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. begin in prayer using the words from Psalm 63. Let us pray. Oh God, you are our God. And earnestly we seek you. Our souls thirst for you. Our flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So we have looked upon you in this sanctuary, 
beholding your power and your glory because we know your steadfast love is better than life and our lips will praise you. We will bless you, O Lord, as long as we live. Amen. Let's stand and sing. One of the hardest parts of our Christian faith is that it requires us to be honest. Honest before God, honest before each other. 
And we need to be honest that sin is real, that you and I fall short, we mess up. Sometimes this looks like self-sabotage. Sometimes this looks like real harm inflicted on people around us. And because we take sin seriously, you and I, we take this time every Sunday to confess it because we know that when we lift it over to God, God through Christ will intercede and forgive us. So trusting that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, let us pray. Jesus, we know you can make us whole and so we place our brokenness at your feet. Our hearts are raw, longing for your fullness and your protection and your healing. Forgive us and set us free. receive the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. We are forgiven, which means we get to live at peace. Thanks be to God. I have the distinct honor this morning of introducing you to one of my friends, Justin Nickel. He is a uh, preacher, pastor, and also a professor at the Lutheran Theological Seminary here in Columbia, South Carolina. I've been to one of his classes. He is phenomenal. So I'm really excited to get to share the pulpit and for you all and myself to receive the word of God from him. Uh, Justin and his wife, Mary, found Downtown Church during the pandemic. And uh, they listened to us online and then they started coming when we were worshiping out back. And I have this distinct memory of their son, Maxie, dancing to the music and running towards the stage. And um, we're so grateful that they have found a home here at Downtown Church. So please welcome the Reverend Dr. Justin Nickel. (laughs) You may want to hold the applause until after I speak and see if I'm still worthy of it. 
Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 16, beginning in the 21st verse. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The word of God for the people of God. Uh, before I begin a... Uh, special uh, thank you to my friend and pastor Don uh, for this invitation. A thank you to you all for uh, the trust you didn't know you were putting in me uh, when showing up to hear me preach. And um, if the classes at Southern that I teach are good, it's in no small part because Pastor Don comes and speaks in them from time to time. So thank you for that. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Peter is many things in the New Testament. He's a stubborn fisherman, a witness to Christ transfigured in his glory. He's a man who saves his own skin at the crucial moment when he's tested, that cock crowing three times thing. In the book of Acts, under the Spirit's power, he's a bold preacher of grace in Christ for Jew and Gentile alike. If Roman Catholic tradition is to be believed, and I for one am all for it, he is at last a martyr for his faith, dying in a Roman per persecution, uh, requesting even to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. As Pastor Don and I were saying at, in the break, uh, our Roman Catholic friends have all the best extra biblical stories. But here in this text, he's something else. Here, he's the embodiment of an all too human process. For here, Peter shows us the power of God's truth revealed and the danger of what we humans can do with that divine truth. 
Peter shows us the danger of a divine truth fully revealed, but only half understood. Let me explain. You may be familiar with the verses which come immediately before this one. We heard Pastor Don preach on them a few weeks back. Jesus does a bit of a check-in with the disciples. How's this, whole, uh, how's this whole thing going? He asks questions that go something like this. What are the crowds making of what they experience through Jesus? The healings, the mysterious sayings, the even more mysterious authority to say them. The bold proclamation of forgiveness and mercy. What do the crowds make of all of this? But even more to the point, what do you make of this? What do you make of the one who performs such deeds and speaks such beautiful things? Are we, are you, able to make the crucial inference that this sort of work is rooted finally not in human things, but in the very presence of God. Enter stage left our dear friend Peter, because in the Spirit's power, it takes divine power to recognize divine work after all, Peter is given a great gift the gift to see Jesus for who he actually is, God's very activity in the flesh. Peter gets it right, and not because he's super smart or super wise spiritually, but because God is gracious and makes God's self known. It's a lovely moment in the Gospels. But it is just that, a moment. Because as today's text makes clear, Peter's spiritual insight leaves just as quickly as it came. Jesus takes Peter's confession as an invitation to say some more things about what his messiahship entails. And it's right here that things start to fall apart for our dear Peter. Peter confesses Jesus to be the messiah Jesus begins to say a little bit more about what that all means. Oh, and Peter, he, he likes that not one bit. Peter goes from being the bearer of divine truth, the receiver of a holy gift, to Satan and a hindrance. All of this in a matter of mere verses. The fall is sudden and whiplash-inducing. What on earth just happened? On a literal level, the answer is clear. Peter, Peter rejects Jesus' redefinition of Messiahship. It's his attempt to correct Jesus, and I love that, his attempt to correct Jesus. Think about that for a second. It's, his, it's that attempt that gets Peter in trouble. But why does Peter try to correct Jesus? That to me is the interesting question. And there are possible answers. As Pastor Don told us a few weeks back, 
We can note the great distance between Jesus' description of his pending fate, what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem, and the general social and religious expectations for what a Messiah would do. The Messiah would not succumb to the forces of the Roman Empire. He would defeat them. He would free his people from occupation, get the Roman boot off of pious Jewish neck, such that God's people could govern themselves in freedom, in piety, worshiping God and treating one another with love and justice. And Jesus here seems to suggest the exact opposite. And so Peter is merely giving voice to a general sort of confusion. What? Messiah? I didn't think that's what that term meant. Okay, fair enough, true enough, but still the question, why does Peter feel compelled to voice this question right now? I can imagine all sorts of confusing things that Jesus said, and I can imagine the disciples being quiet about those. So why is it this particular insight that so troubles Peter? I think we see an important spiritual temptation at work here. Peter, you see, is partially, partially converted, or he has just enough spiritual insight to be dangerous. God has revealed to Peter that, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that's nothing Peter could have come to on his own. But and here's the crucial bit. Peter still wants to supply the definition to what that term Messiah means. Peter receives a great gift from God and he wants to tell God what the content of that gift is. You could of course imagine the scene going differently. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah and kind of looks around and goes, whoa, where did that come from? I didn't know that before. Perhaps that's the work of the Spirit. And thinking about that, Peter then goes to Jesus and says, hey, I said something. Uh, would you help me figure out what I just said? Would you help me better understand who you are? I just said you were the Messiah, but what does that term mean? Of course, uh, that's not how it goes. Peter does not ask that sort of question and so ends up being called a hindrance. I've often heard this interaction as a description of Peter's spiritual pride, that Peter gets a little too big for his britches and needs to get knocked down a peg or two back where he belongs. And I think that's true, but I also think there's something deeper than Peter's spiritual pride going on, and it's this. It's the notion that Peter, or that we, have arrived at a point in our spiritual journeys where our beliefs, our habits, our customs are no longer in need of revision, renewal, conversion. It's the equivalent of taking the phrase on the back of our, the bulletin that says we are unfinished and taking the un out of the finished. <laughs> that, yeah, we're good, we're done, thank you. 
Notice here an important distinction. The trouble is not that we are still on the way to what we will be, as Luther said. I have to get my Luther quote in for you at one point in the sermon. That's a good and holy thing. The trouble is when we forget that. When we think that we've already arrived, when we think that we are finished, when we confuse our dim mirrors for perfect spiritual vision, when we lose sight of the fact that even the spiritually wisest among us yet swim in the kiddie pool of divine insight, Lest we think ourselves better off than Peter, consider the ways we misunderstand Christ ourselves. And here, Pastor Don could have mentioned that um, in bringing a Lutheran into the pulpit, I love to talk about sin. And not to make anyone feel bad, but just so, as Pastor Don was saying, so we can bring it to light and have it be forgiven. Um, So bear with me for a second. Consider our own misunderstandings of Jesus Who among us has truly learned to live this truth, that God demands mercy and not sacrifice? For my own part, I'm all too eager to sacrifice those with whom I disagree on the altar of my own self-righteousness, or to sacrifice neighborly need on the altar of my own wants and desires. Who among us has not doubted that Christ is with us to the very end of the age as he promises at the end of Matthew? Who among us fully lives as though divine forgiveness and not human mercy and human, or excuse me, not human vengeance and human folly will indeed have that last word? Like Peter, we may use the right words to describe who God is. Like Peter, we may also have little idea of what those words actually mean. What to do, you ask? That seems like a bind I've just confessed us to all being in. Well, keep reading, I suppose. And specifically, these words about life losing and cross bearing. Here is Christ's response to Peter's human, all too human words. A favorite philosopher of mine, a secular Jew by the name of Stanley Cavell, speaks of the crucifixion of the intellect in the Christian tradition. Now that doesn't mean that we fail to think hard about who and what God is. That'd be a weird thing for a seminary professor to say to you. And further still, and more importantly still, many of us have been traumatized by religious communities that tell us not to think at all lest we risk our salvation or something, I almost said, or some such nonsense. Um, Actually, yeah, I'm gonna commit to that, or some such nonsense. Rather, The idea is simply that the Holy Spirit will lead us through death and resurrection, lead us to the cross and the open tomb as we go about our thinking and our living with God and with one another. The Spirit will take from us our two small notions of who God is, how God relates to the world, 
and what God wants for us and for our neighbors. God will take all of that and put it to death. Why is this so, you may ask? Why such radical language for our spiritual journeys? Death and resurrection, crucifixion of the intellect. This is intense stuff. Well, the answer to those questions, I suspect, is found in the one calling us to such death and resurrection. Christ loves you. He cares for you. He gives his life for you. He bears you in your fear and isolation until the end, and he promises to make all things well. He loves the ones we fear, the ones we reject, or the ones we simply do not care for. That's who he is. That's what he is actually like. And all of that is simply beyond what we think God could be like. God's goodness is just bigger than we know. Our sin is in forgetting that fact. The Spirit's good work is in reminding us of it and then drawing us deeper into the depths of divine love. And here I would ask you to look at the picture on the front of your bulletin. Notice what the stars are doing. Notice how they're taking, uh, drawing your eye outside of the frame. Notice how they begin right in the middle of the picture and then expand out beyond it. And then let the stars stand in for the Spirit's work. For the way the Spirit meets us right where we are and then draws us into something bigger, deeper, more beautiful than we could finally come up with on our own. So, let us lose our sense of who God is. Not so that we're left without God, but so that we may encounter God's love again, even as it feels like the first time. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus, you are here among us, and we, like Peter, have unspoken questions for you. Why is this happening in my life? Or what do you want me to do next? It's through prayer, O oh Lord, that we engage you in dialogue and we listen for the still, small voice that is yours. Encourage us, we pray. Care for us, we pray. And give us your wisdom through your scriptures. Lord, we pray this not just for ourselves, but also for our leaders in our neighborhood, in our city, in our state, in our nation, and in our world. Lord, we pray this day for safety and for those especially on the campus of UNC Chapel Hill. We pray for those in the path of storms and in the wake of fires. We pray, O oh Lord, for your kingdom to come and that you would help us to shape that kingdom, a piece of it here in Columbia, South Carolina. Hear us now as we pray the prayer you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you now to stand as we say together what we believe using the ancient words of the Apostles' Creed. Beloved, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. 
he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul and Silas. And it's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. And it's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for my dear mother. It was good for my dear father. It was good for my dear brother. And it's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. Receive a blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. If you feel compelled to support the church financially, you can give a secure gift online at downtownchurch.me forward slash give.